0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serenity. Thanks for inviting me into your home, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. That greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy to all of you tuning us in on one of our fine affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you, those of you who stream us on YouTube. Just a reminder, no live stream tonight on YouTube. The live stream will resume the second week of September. However, the audio from this broadcast will be up on the YouTube channel. And again, the YouTube channel is Strange Planet. You can access the YouTube channel and my podcasts uh, and information on this radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It's all found at strangeplanet.ca. Now, just a quick programming note before we get rolling here with... Vlad Isengrim, a.k.a. Scott McClellan, uh, coming up next week, journalist Nick Bryant will be here in the first hour to discuss the whole Jeffrey Epstein child sex ring story that is really just shaking uh, not only Washington, uh, D.C., but really the whole world uh, to its core. Who knows how high this will go? and we'll get into the uh, the Lolita Express and the Lolita L- Lolita Island and who's involved and implicated etc. Uh, then in the second hour Chris Newby has a new book it's called Bitten The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons she'll join me uh, now this book has gained tremendous currency as late uh, uh, of late because a uh, a member of the House of Representatives in Washington cited this book um as sort of his inspiration into wanting to question the Pentagon, to hold a hearing and question the Pentagon whether or not, as to whether or not they weaponized ticks as a biological weapon, something you know many of us have sort of suspected for many many years. Well, now we may we may get a hearing on that, and it's part in uh, in large measure due to Chris Newby's book Bitten: The Secret History of Lyme Disease. She joins us the second hour uh, next week. All right. Let's usher in the master of macabre. Scott McClellan has been creating productions based on the strange and bizarre. He was brought up on his grandfather's carnival, and Scott is preserving the secrets and carrying on the traditions passed down by his famous grandfather, Professor N.P. Luchuk. Scott's productions have been showcased on a TLC, the National Geographic Channel, and CBC. And now... After more than a quarter century of touring with his own circus sideshow, Carnival Diablo, and filling theaters with curious patrons during the Paranormal Show, Scott has decided to open up his home, the Diablo Manor, for a special evening that embodies everything he loves, the 19th century, the supernatural, strange anomalies, freaks, ghosts, and cryptozoology. A great pleasure to welcome Scott McClellan back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, Scott?
1: I'm very well, Richard. How are you?
0: Terrific, thank you. And uh, looking forward uh, to meeting you up uh, once again up at Occulticon 2019, which is September 13th, 14th, and 15th. And uh, you're going to be performing the Paranormal Show. Tell us
1: about it. Well, the Paranormal Show is a show based on paranormal activity live on stage. I I basically will be on stage performing different feats that are tests of the supernatural, psychokinesis, retrocognition, telekinesis, mind reading, uh, all, all of the things that basically people have always questioned about the paranormal will not be answered but will be a part of the evening itself. And uh, the fascinating thing about it is 75% of the show is audience participation. So the audience becomes totally involved and immersed in the world of the supernatural during the performance.
0: And which dates of the the three are you performing?
1: Uh, I am performing, as far as I know, on the 14th, which is the Saturday.
0: Right, right. And I'll be speaking on the 14th. And uh, Victor Vigiani, who just left the studio, he'll be uh, up at culticon as well. Presenting on on UFOs and uh, Christian D'Cadieu from Paranormal Contractors will also be up there. But there's a, a Steve Santini has uh, an amazing uh, collection of artifacts from the Titanic and other shipwrecks. So uh, Occulticon 2019 happening in uh, Holstein, Ontario, which is in Grey County. This beautiful 61 acre, uh, it's forested. There's lakes, ponds, uh, plenty of camping and uh, cabins. And uh, it'll be a great time, September 13th, 14th, 15th. You can go to occulticon.com for more information. All right, so uh, let me ask you about uh, living or growing up, really, uh, on your grandfather's touring with your grandfather's circus sideshow. How old were you when you ran away and joined the circus?
1: Uh, well, we've got pictures of me at six weeks of age in front of my grandfather's Ferris wheel. But I, uh, I didn't start to apprentice under him until I was 11 years old. And from 11 to 25, I spent every summer uh, learning, uh, I hate to use the word the tricks of the trade, but how to become a showman and also uh, basically how to run a show based around the Strange and Bizarre, which is Circus Sideshow and what I'm now doing, the Paranormal Show, because my grandfather also performed seances live on stage.
0: Wow. What a life growing up and spending your summers traveling in a circus side show. How did you travel across the country back then?
1: Usually you travel by train. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents would put a little note in my pocket that says, My name is Scott McClellan. Make sure that I get to this destination at this time or this hotel. That was basically uh, the way I traveled for the first five or six years of my uh, life, from 11 to about 16 years of age. At 17, I had my license, so I could drive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your grandfather, Professor N.P. Luchuk. How did he get started?
1: Well, my grandfather was... A person that was really a renaissance man in the industry. He not only could uh, perform on stage things like magic and hypnotism and sideshow feats, but he also was what they called (laughs) historically the brain from the Ukraine because he was an inventor and a botanist and a chemist, and he invented carnival rides that are now being used all over the world, such as the teacup ride at Disneyland.
0: Oh, wow.
1: That's one of his ideas. Before he came along, all merry-go-rounds had horses on them that were stationary. And my grandfather, being a, uh, an equestrian rider, thought, well, if I was a child and I wanted to be on a horse, I'd want to feel the horse beneath me. So he created the step mechanism that makes the horses go up and down on the merry-go-round. Wow. This guy was brilliant. Uh, so apart from performing, he was actually enhancing the circus and carnival industry constantly. Amazing. What a legacy. Yeah.
0: And uh, your grandmother was part of the show as
1: well, wasn't she? Yes, she was. My grandmother could swallow seven swords at one time. She's in the Sword Swallower Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: What a lineage. Uh, I, my grandmother may have accidentally swallowed a, 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 a darning needle, but that's about <laughs> seven swords all at once. Oh yeah. my gosh! And um, what is the strangest thing? Uh, you know, when your your grandfather was running the the sideshow, what was the yeah. one of the, the the strangest
1: attractions? Well, it's funny. My mom said to me when she was a little girl, like when she was four and five, and she used to be backstage during Grandpa's shows. She used to hate watching the shows because every day her mother would die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my grand, my grandfather performed what is known as Grand Guilnial Theater, and uh, that's theater of the blood on stage. Basically, it's a uh, it's morality plays with uh, stage blood and 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 uh, really graphic illusions. My grandfather would use things like uh, uh, the same kind of guillotine that. Ellis Cooper uses huh. in his stage show where the head goes into the uh, in, into the hole and when the blade comes down, the head comes off. Well, Mom used to watch this from the side of the stage and, uh, of course, my grandfather never brought my grandmother back on stage once her head came off. <laughs> so, it, to my mom, Sure. She was killed wow. three times a day. <laughs> so she absolutely abhorred the fact that she had to do, you know, uh watch that kind of thing every day because grandpa had a different way of killing gr uh mom every uh every day of the week. <laughs> wow.
0: Now uh, yeah. Carnival Diablo know, it's,
1: it's strange. I'm sorry. He asked it I, I, I answered. <laughs> That's all right. He he uh, he, he Showed me when I was uh, when I was 11 years old. He took me to a show where a 75 year old man was on stage, like an old guy. And uh, this this old guy came on stage. Didn't he was probably in his 80s. Like like he looked like he was very frail. And he asked for a lady's purse from the audience. Now this was 1977. So understand a lady's purse back then was the size of a Cadillac. And um, <laughs> yes. And so he took a shark hook and he put it through his unpierced tongue and lifted the lady's purse with a chain attached to the shark hook. And I was only 11 years old, and this is like the kind of entertainment my grandfather was opening me up to. And at the time, I was not only aghast but fascinated, and I thought to myself, one day I'm going to do that too.
0: One day I'm going to put a shark's hook through my tongue.
1: Yes, and now I do. I actually uh, put a shark hook through my unpierced tongue, and I lift 45 pounds of stones in a basket on stage. Wow.
0: So, yeah. uh, since, you've, since you've purchased uh, Diablo Manor, and you've yeah. got a lot of your exhibits, what's the status now of Carnival Diablo? Do you still go out summers with the big tent?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, Carnival Diablo, the strangest show unearthed. Uh, tours every summer from May through September and uh, it's under a big top. I've actually taken uh, time out of my life to purchase a large big top uh, build a banner line and do it just like my grandfather did back in the 1920s and 30s. So it's a real throwback. The tent isn't made out of vinyl, it's made out of canvas. The, uh, poles are not made of, uh, aluminum, they're made out of wood. And the rope is not nylon, it's hemp. So it's like we're going right back to the olden days when it comes to the way the show was set up.
0: Oh, God bless you.
1: It's a real thrill to be on the road with it.
0: And, uh, you don't travel by train anymore, I'm guessing. And, you know, and, and, um... (laughs) uh. I wish
1: I did. You know, Ringling Brothers used to do that. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't travel by train. I I, I travel by my uh, my own little uh, uh, gas powered machine and that you, you, uh, you magically s- just drives around for you know all it's worth. Yeah.
0: Do you do you set up the big tent in the middle of the night just outside of town?
1: <laughs> exactly, and then suddenly it just appears.
0: Right, right.
1: It's a beautiful thing. Uh,
0: and some of the uh, some of the attractions you have uh, currently touring. Um, what do we call them? Geeks.
1: Uh, well, that depends. A, a geek is a, a person that actually uh, bites the heads off of chickens or snakes. Ah, okay. um, the, the only two performers under the big top during the, uh, the tour is myself and Visago, the mechanical marvel.
0: Oh, tell me about the, the mechanical marvel.
1: <laughs> well, Visago is a 19th century automaton. And uh, he's the grand finale to the show, and he's unveiled at the very end of the uh, program. And when, he, when people see him, he's beautiful. He's a, he's a 19th century automaton that reads minds. And although he has been programmed as a clockwork-type robot, like it's an old 19th century robot, for some odd reason, he is capable of knowing what's in the minds of the audience, and it's it's a really great way to end the show because it's whimsical, it's like something that you could only dream about, and it's happening right in front of you.
0: So uh, people can go to CarnivalDiablo.com com to see uh, you know where you'll be rolling through this summer.
1: Yes, yeah. We've uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to be setting up in a couple weeks in Spencerville on August eighth through the eleventh. Ah, in Mill Park.
0: Right. That's up in the Ottawa Valley, right?
1: That is correct.
0: Terrific. And um tell me about Carnival Diablo. You uh you sort of settled in and uh I mean this is your this is your home now, but is this is this place haunted? Oh, you're talking about the Diablo Manor. I'm sorry, what did I say? Yeah, the Diablo Manor. My apologies.
1: <laughs> yes. The uh the Diablo Manor, it's uh have you ever heard of the Orange Society?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. They're a a fraternity was, like the Masons, right?
1: That is correct. This was one of the very first Orange Society halls in the region. So the house wasn't just a house, it was actually a place where secret societies would actually gather on a weekly basis. Ooh,
0: secret passages?
1: Secret passages, yes. Um, uh, Every doorknob has sigils uh, uh, actually carved into it, every hinge on the doors has sigils carved into it this place is magic and I mean M-I-G-I-C-K I, uh, <laughs> when I came across it I had to have the place uh, this is one of the most unusual things I've ever seen in my life Like it's, it, it was built uh, basically for rituals like the master bedroom is where the throne room used to be for the Orange Society and uh it's it's a fascinating house um, of course i've augmented it with my collection so there's mummies and human shrunken heads and uh two-headed calves and uh even the uh the skeleton of uh john merrick himself the elephant man
0: you have the skeleton of the elephant man
1: he is on display here at the diablo manor now understand it's uh, it's on loan right now but i uh, i'm very proud to actually have That with me. And man, when you come, when you come to the Diablo Manor, it begins with a full tour of all the artifacts with the stories. And then from there we have a three course Victorian meal. And then the evening ends in the parlor with a 75 minute show.
0: The paranormal show.
1: Well, no, it's a no. show written specifically ah. for the Diablo Manor because it's close up and personal. So the paranormal show is built for a larger stage. The uh Diablo Manor show is uh well, it's it, it it's frightening on its uh, on its own rights because of the fact that it's uh something where instead of having like 1500 people in an audience, I only allow 10. Wow, very exclusive. every single person is involved, yeah. Every time we do the Diablo Manor, it's only for 10 people.
0: Okay, and um, did you tell me once that in order to get there, people are blindfolded?
1: Well, no, they aren't blindfolded, but it's a secret location. So Uh. once you purchase your tickets, uh, we get notified uh, through the ticket system that we have. And immediately we send you a, um, a special map. That allows you to find your way to the Diablo manor oh, I see. and so it's uh, it, it's impossible to find unless you're actually um, uh, uh, lucky enough to have purchased the ticket I see I
0: see yeah and, and so uh, how do you how do, how do people reserve if they want to go to the Di- the Diablo manor
1: well uh, basically all you have to do is go to www.diablomanor.com, and all the information is there. And it talks about the, uh, the, the food, it talks about the entertainment, it talks about uh, where you can get your tickets. Well, you, you can just click on, on, on ticket sales and it will take you right to it. Uh, it's, it's a great site.
0: Fantastic. Scott uh, McClellan yeah. is here from the Paranormal Show, Diablo Manor, Carnival Diablo, and the website there is CarnivalDiablo.com. And uh, is it TheParanormalShow.com?
1: Uh, if you want to re- uh, read and learn more about the Paranormal Show, it's at the dot net dot Sorry,
0: all right. Yeah. And uh, Scott will be appearing at Occulticon twenty nineteen. Uh, he'll be performing the Paranormal Show on Saturday, September the fourteenth. And again, occulticon dot com. Is uh, where you go for tickets and more information. All right, I want to. I, I know we've talked about this before, but it's one of my favorite all-time stories, and that is Waldo, the homicidal dummy. Um, yeah. We're going to do that though. We're coming up on a break. Uh, before we we uh, we break though, I just want to get a, a bit of a tour of Diablo Manor. Tell me about some of the other strange artifacts. I'd be happy
1: to. The, uh, w- when you enter the Apple Manor, one of the first things that I show you is a mummy's head from the British Museum carbon Diggers at 1400 BC. Then we move on from there to an unveiling of the actual mermaid that P.T. Barnum showed back in 1873. Uh, And it was called the Fiji mermaid. Uh, This is the same time period that Darwin brought out his book Origin of Species. And basically Barnum thought it was so funny that he got a taxidermist to uh, take and shave the front of a monkey and uh, sew it onto the back of a sea bass. And he went to the papers and went, Ladies and gentlemen, you're part (laughs) of something amazing right now. Come and see that man came from fish, and he made, in the first year of showing this crazy-ass, like, taxidermied thing, $7.5 million. Oh, my. That's a person. Then he turned it around the next year, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, you've been part of the world's largest hoax. Come and see what fooled the world. And that next year, he made $8.3 million.
0: Are those in today's dollars, or is that how much he made back then?
1: That's in today's dollars. That's wow. five cents a person. He was touring this all over the place, and people were just falling all over themselves to go and see it. He was uh, he was an amazing showman, and uh, from there you get to see the elephant man skeleton. There is a uh, shrine to my grandfather's life that you'll get to see. Uh, there are human shrunken heads. There is uh, oh. My goodness! There's a uh, an actual hand of glory. Now, there's only two in the world. There's one in Whitby Abbey in uh, in England, and there's the one that my grandfather uh, had in his collection. And uh, so that is one of the last things you see before we move into the dining room and begin a rather beautiful but unusual meal.
0: What's the hand of glory?
1: Uh, a hand of glory is basically a hand that's been severed from a criminal that's been hung in the court. And then they imbue the hand with a certain power so that when it is pointed at a locked door, it unlocks it and places everybody beyond the door under a deep trance the place may be robbed. It's a rather valuable object of certain
0: oh my gosh.
1: individuals.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. We're going to head into a break here. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you about Waldo, the homicidal dummy. If you haven't heard this story before... Wait until you do. And I just want to uh, remind you about my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. And new episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you love the Conspiracy Show, you're going to love Conspiracy Unlimited. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, brand new episodes. And um, we are fast approaching uh, 3 million unique downloads since we, we launched uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, it just keeps rolling along. Thanks to you. I appreciate it. If you want to listen and subscribe to Conspiracy Unlimited, two ways. You can just go to strangeplanet.ca. That's the website. And there's a button at the bottom there for the podcast, strangeplanet.ca. Or you can go right to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Back with more of my conversation with Scott McClellan from Carnival Diablo, The Paranormal Show, and Diablo Manor, right here on The Conspiracy Show.
1: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett.
0: Vlad Eisengrim, a.k.a. Scott McClellan, from Carnival Diablo, Canada's oldest, longest-running traveling circus side show under the big top he is also the man behind the paranormal show theparanormalshow.net and uh, we should also mention of course diablomanner.com where you can go uh, for a wonderful uh, well first you'll tour the manor and see all of these things the hand of glory the bones of the elephant man do you still have the two-headed calf
1: I do that's actually my grandfather's very first freak that he ever showed Ah. Under a uh, 10-foot by 10-foot black tent back in 1920, he only had one thing, and that was this wonderful two-headed calf that he had purchased from a museum in Peoria, Illinois. And basically, he built his carnival from the sales he made off of showing that two-headed calf.
0: Oh, wow. Amazing. So, I hope you don't get tired of telling this story, Scott. It's one of my favorites. Not at all. Is this the one attraction that people ask you the most about, Waldo?
1: Yes, it's my most famous attraction. Basically, Waldo is a ventriloquist dummy that has a rather nefarious history. A very famous vaudeville entertainer named Harry Tomaney had gotten finally after years and years of working towards it, a big contract on the Lyceum circuit. Now the Lyceum Circuit is kind of like getting to do Broadway on the road. It's the big one. It's the big ticket. And he was a ventriloquist. He decided to get a new ventriloquist dummy made for that tour. And he commissioned the same gentleman that had made the dummy for Edgar Bergen, which was Charlie McCarthy. Right, right. So we know for a fact, just to you know say this right off the top, that the carver of the dummy was not an evil person, did not do anything bad or horrible in creating this dummy. Something else must have happened to it along the way. That being said... Basically, on his first night on the circuit, he was backstage, and they came to knock on the door, and they were like, five minutes, Mr. Tomeini, five minutes, and he didn't answer, but that was okay, because he was probably just doing his makeup, but then they made another call, Uh, Mr. Tomeini, you're on, Mr. Tomeini, Mr. Tomeini, you're on, he didn't answer the door, they broke down the door, and they found him on the ground, dead, The coroner's report stated that the fist marks on his body were the size of a three-year-old child's fist. He was beaten to death. His dummy was then left to um, his daughter, who was about to be married that next year. Sadly, her and her soon-to-be husband died in a house fire, and one of the only things taken from the fire intact was the dummy.
0: Which is made out of wood.
1: (laughs) Which is made out of wood. Now the dummy was placed in the care of a vaudeville museum in the the 1950s, because vaudeville had finally um, gone the way of the dodo, and TV was now king. And so uh, this vaudeville museum showed it for seven years, and after showing it for seven years, the vaudeville museum exploded in a large gas fire, killing seven people. And the only thing taken from the rubble, once again, Mm. intact, was the dummy. Wow. And so now uh, the dummy was basically placed in state with the American government. Now, if you remember the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's that point where the janitor is moving the uh, Ark in a crate into a great big warehouse of crates right. where it gets lost forever. Well, there is a place much like that in reality. And basically that's where Waldo sat in a box up until 1984 this was by my very first acquisition, I caught wind through my grandfather that they were doing an auction. And I went to the auction because I had heard about the story of the dummy, and I bid highest, and I won Waldo as my first artifact. Now, when I put him on show, originally in the Carnival Diablo, I chained him to a trunk filled with 400 pounds of lead shot. And that was for the public safety and mine. And I was always curious as to what made this thing kill everybody that ever owned it
0: right i mean we should point uh, out what's the body count now so there's the harry well, tomei the original harry ventriloquist
1: May, his daughter and her assumed to be husband so there's two of them that died and then there were seven people that died after that that's so, ten. Um, seven eight now well that's ten people wow
0: and what does he look yeah. like
1: Well, the interesting thing about Waldo is you can take his wig off, and in the back of his head, if you open it up and look inside, it's almost like looking at a Swiss clock. There's over 200 working parts, and he's got like two winkers. His eyes go back and forth. His mouth, of course, goes up and down. But the most intriguing thing about him is the fact that he has a mechanical handshaker, which is really weird, so he can actually shake your hand. Oh, Um,
0: wow. And doesn't he have
1: human teeth? Yes, thank you for uh, bringing that up. Strangely enough, somebody over the years has taken out the little tiny strip of white wood that would have represented teeth on a ventriloquist dummy and replaced that with children's teeth.
0: Oh my God, that's eerie. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I had an epiphany. I thought to myself, I've got to figure out how and why this thing is the way it is. So I invited a psychic out to the original Carnival Diablo space in 1992, and I didn't tell him what the problem was with any of my objects. I just said, there's something here that really bothers me. And he went walking straight to the Waldo exhibit and pointed at it and said, is this the problem? And I said, yeah, it is. And I said, can you tell me anything about it from what you're feeling? And he said to me, that the ventriloquist dummy is made of bad wood. And I said, well, what's bad wood? I don't get it. And he said, basically, I believe that this dummy was carved from a hangman's tree. Ooh, 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 ooh.
0: <laughs> wow. And and then what is your theory, that it's possessed by every ghost that was ever hanged?
1: From every person that was ever hanged on that tree, now that spirit, that angry spirit, is within the wood. And so if there was 15 people that had been hung on that tree, then there's 15 angry spirits within the wood, trapped there. And now they have a way and a means to move, thanks to this puppet-like body of Waldo.
0: Have you ever seen it move on its own?
1: Personally, I have not, but I can remember when we had it on show at the old space in Calgary, Alberta, I was doing my books one night when there was a sonic boom in the building. And these two guys came running from the back and they were like, is that supposed to happen? Is that supposed to happen? And I said, what happened? Can you tell me what happened? They said, you got to follow us and just see this. So I went back to where the exhibit was and there was around 65 people standing around the perimeter of the exhibit. And I said, what happened here? Because all of the other exhibits were on the ground. And they said what they had seen is the trunk that Waldo was chained to, which was filled with 400 pounds of lead shot, levitated around three and a half feet off the ground and then came down full force, jarring everything off of the other tables in its vicinity. So he was trying to get out. And that was one of the big ones. I've been told by many people that he's actually followed them, like his head's actually turned, and he's followed them as they walk down the aisle when he was on show in the World of Wonders, when I had him on tour. Wow. And again, there's nothing mechanical about this thing. It has to be manually worked. This is a ventriloquist dummy, not a robot. So it's like, all these things are really kind of disheartening. (laughs) But I have him right now chained and bolted to a shelf unit here in the Diablo Manor. And he's also hogtied. And he is one of the exhibits that people can see when they're here.
0: He's hogtied. Would you ever untie him and use him like a ventriloquist dummy, or...?
1: No. Good good God, no. With the track record of this thing, I am going to say that thing's going to stay chained up forever. I bought, at the same time I bought Waldo, a thing called a belly demon. It's carved in wood. It's around four feet high, and it's 350 years old. It was from a belly tribe. And basically, it was placed in front of a hut of the chief of the belly tribe. And the belly demon is much like a sentinel on a church, like a gargoyle. Right. And there's a little drawer at its feet, and what they would do is they would take and place the nail clippings and the hair of the chief inside that little drawer, close it, and that would imbue the actual statue, this belly demon, with his essence, his energy, so he would know who to keep care of. Well, when I bought that, which was about the same time I got Waldo, I placed my own hair clippings and nail clippings into that drawer so that it would guard me from... The problematic little
0: doll that I have. Although. Good plan. Yeah. You have an insurance policy. Alright. In S- a weird way, yeah. <laughs> Sit tight, Scott. We'll uh, come back. More conversation with Vlad Eisengrim, aka Scott McClelland of Carnival Diablo and the Paranormal Show and Diablo Manor. Stay with us. <laughs> The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right, welcome back. Scott McClellan stays with us. Scott, you must be excited about Occulticon. That sounds like just the perfect venue for everything that you do.
1: You know, it's interesting. This is a brand new convention that's based around witchcraft, UFOs, lake monsters, Bigfoot, conspiracy theorists. Basically, everything that people are intrigued about in the world of the unknown, and that spans everything, like the world of the unknown. The Occulticon is really interesting because it delves into the dark magic, it delves into psychic ability, it's got some great speakers, including yourself, of course, and people like Steve Santini, who's had his own TV show, and also is uh, he has a huge collection based on the Titanic, and that will all be on show. Plus, I'm sure that he'll have a plethora of stories to tell himself. All the people involved are some of the best people in the industry when it comes to the form of weird, strange, and bizarre things that they know. Each one is a purveyor of that certain specialty, I guess you could say. Like, a person that knows about UFOs, that is what they know. That is exactly what you're going to go and hear about, and they're going to be able to tell you a lot about it, because they actually are the best in the industry to be talking about it. This is not just a group of uh, people getting together that just want to chat about strange things. These, uh, This convention is bringing together some of the uh, most interesting people on the planet to talk about uh the unusual, the bizarre, and the supernatural.
0: And and what a great uh, venue! Because uh, for people who don't know, Mythwood Event uh, Grounds—it's like sixty-one acres. It's, it's like gorgeous. Yeah, it's camping. It's the highest campground in Ontario, and uh, in terms of altitude. And uh, you know, there's a lake, there's a pond, there's a. Uh, he's, uh, Cayman Mythwood has created a, uh, a stone circle uh, there, I guess, for you know druid ceremonies and so it's forth. It's Truly magical. Mm
1: and and sadly um the occulticon is going to be performing uh like for that three days the convention for the very last time there because Occultico- uh the uh, came uh came in Myth- yeah. uh campground is closing at the end of the season yeah, yeah, so this will be uh,
0: uh, people's last forever. chance.
1: and um i I know that he has plans to take the occulticon uh somewhere else after that in the in the future but um, for those that are really interested in having a wonderful experience, uh, they should go to the mythwood campgrounds this year because this is the last chance they 'll have right. to and, actually experience mythwood
0: right and people can camp there for the full uh, three days or they could just uh, uh they could just stay for the day september 13, 14, 15, and again it 's occulticon dot com uh, I wanted to ask you and speaking of the occult are you uh, are you uh, uh i won 't say a fan but uh, are you Keen a on Alistair Crowley? I was going to say Alistair Crowley. Uh,
1: what are my thoughts? Well, um, I am a practitioner of the occult, and uh, Aleister uh, was a like a, a very intriguing, uh, eccentric, and charismatic character in the history of uh, uh, the occult uh, sciences. Uh, I. Um, i 've been getting deeper into it as i 've gotten older uh originally in writing things like the Paranormal Show. I was much more interested in the uh not with well, the pseudoscience of e s p and of telekinesis, which is the movement of objects with the mind, and things like that. But now, I'm actually uh, much more interested in my own personal life, in the ritual of magic. And so I've been um, actually doing a lot of rituals here at the Diablo Manor, when people are not around. Like, I'm actually, um, every time I have a, a, an audience here, when they leave, I do a, a house cleansing. I actually uh, uh, smudge my, my house, and I go through the whole ritual of uh, cleansing and of any uh, ill energy that may have been brought along with anybody that came through my door, because they're all strangers that are coming into my home.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, Crowley was known as, I think they called him the Beast, and, you know, one of the most notorious people, uh, one of them in, in history. Do you think he deserved that rap, or was he just sort of, sort of playing that role?
1: Well, I think it, uh, he was very charismatic and he definitely knew, uh, what the people wanted to hear and see. And he was, he was definitely a bit of a megalomaniac when it came to, <laughs> like, how he played out his life. Uh, much like Salvador Dali. Dali was art, uh, Crowley was definitely the occult. Um, and, uh, I, I, I definitely don't, uh, you know, poo poo and wrong him for doing that. I, uh, I think that everybody has their own journey. And, uh, Crowley's journey had created such a fantastic, uh, interesting history for the man that people are still talking about him, uh, you know, uh, half a century after he's died.
0: Right, right. Do what that will is the whole of the law. Uh, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll take a time out we'll come back and um, I wanted to ask you about Jack the Ripper because his memory serves you're a bit of a I think you're they call you a, a, ripperologist. a ripperologist yeah can we yeah. talk about Jack the Ripper we can excellent alright Scott McClellan stays with us Carnival Diablo the paranormal show Diablo Manor back with more in a moment sure your phone isn't tapped call now 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740 scott mcclellan stays with us the man behind carnival diablo canada's oldest and i guess only uh traveling circus sideshow there's nobody else right doing this
1: uh, not under a big top. There, there are a variety of show entertainers that sometimes get together and will actually do a uh, a, a small sideshow at a theater. But um, when it comes down to an actual touring circus sideshow, um, believe it or not, not only were We, the ones that have been doing it for the past 27 years, but I've looked into it, and historically, uh, before me, there was a period between 1992 and 1968 where there was nobody in Canada doing sideshow, and from 68 to 1920, the only other person doing sideshow was my grandfather. There you go. So historically in Canada, we are the basically the the sideshow family. That's it. That has kept it going.
0: Sideshow royalty. Yes. And, and as you mentioned earlier, you, you keep it faithful to sort of the, the 19th century, the Victorian era. What is it about the Victorian era that fascinates you so?
1: Well, this was a time period where science and religion were clashing. And so uh, there was a strong fascination in the spirit world, and that was, of course, the, uh, uh, the advent of spiritualism. And people were very interested in seances, in contacting the dead, Speaking to the dead through different devices such as Ouija boards, pendulums, uh, slates, uh, pretty well anything that could make them talk to the dead. And of course, again, their interest not only in speaking to the dead was also just in the dead themselves because there was this new thing called photography where um, suddenly they had this need to take pictures of themselves with their dead relatives before they were interred into the ground. And this was called memento mori. Uh, this type of photography. And it's rather morbid, but it was a piece of history that, you know, was a part of the Victorian time period. And you can still find occasionally in, uh, antique stores pictures of dead people with their relatives, um, posed in some photo studio in the 19th century. Yeah, they very prop strange. them
0: up as if they're sitting there, as if they're still alive, but clearly well, they are practically, not. Practically,
1: yes. It's right. very strange
0: and you mentioned spiritualism queen victoria was also um, secretly very much into this as well wasn't she
1: yes it was it was a huge fad um uh, throughout uh, england and north america and uh, it, it was astounding like uh, people with uh, you know go out to uh, see seances, they would go out and uh, partake in uh, wonderful like performances by people like the Davenport Brothers, who would do a thing called the Spirit Cabinet, where they would be tied up inside of a, uh, a closet-like cabinet on stage, which had been checked by the people from the audience. And they would manifest spirits, and violins would play, and plates would uh fly out uh, out of the cabinet into the air uh and these people were tied up so there was no physical way for them to have been doing any of this stuff uh really neat stuff like the uh the things that they created back then and i extrapolate from that and try and pull that into the world that i'm playing in when i'm on stage
0: you'll be performing with that uh, uh, doing something like that at the paranormal show at uh, at uh, occulticon yes i will uh uh-huh. and will you be doing a séance
1: yes I, uh, I end the show with a seance and, uh, it's, uh, hopefully there will be some poltergeist activity and other activity. It's a, it's a fascinating look at how a seance is actually produced and performed in front of an audience. Um, I know that there is going to be another seance that will be taking place, uh, over the course of that weekend, uh, by some mediums, uh, and, uh, that will be very interesting also. So there is a lot of really interesting things going on at the occulticon, uh, to keep, uh, you keep people on their toes and also very interested, uh, because it's a, uh, it's, it's a fully immersive experience.
0: And I know that you're also fascinated with Jack the Ripper. And uh, there are, you know, there's a sort of a community of, of people like yourself, and you're called ripperologists. Uh, yes. What you have some artifacts uh, it, uh, that were, that are connected to that case.
1: Yes, well, when you come to the Diablo Manor, I actually have a part in my show where I reveal these artifacts, and we try and solve some of uh, the Ripper's crimes, because he killed five prostitutes in Whitechapel, England. Uh, Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and finally Mary Jane Kelly. But um, then he disappeared, and uh, for a year nobody heard of him. And then, after about a year, in the new world they call America, at the Chicago World's Fair, over 12 more women were killed by the same modus operandi as Jack the Ripper. And historians believe that Jack maybe had fled the country and still had such an insatiable bloodthirst that he kept on doing what he did best and kept on killing in Chicago during the World's Fair. Wow. And during the course of the evening, I try and solve the rest of the case in Chicago in 1889. Amazing. And I use the artifacts that I have collected. I have actual photographs uh from the uh from the trial and, and 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 from the archives on Jack the Ripper and I um uh Annie Chapman when she was found uh in Mitre Square in Whitechapel, England, dead. Uh they found clenched in her fist two pennies and one half penny. And I have Fortuitously, got in my hands on the two pennies and one half penny that she was holding. Oh wow! So it's in my collection. Yeah,
0: that's pretty macaw. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you uh, uh, what do you think? Uh, I think this came out earlier this year in the spring, mm-hmm. where they did some genetic analysis on I think it was a shawl that was found on one of the victims, and uh, they did some DNA testing, and now somebody thinks that they've solved. The, the case finally, and they're pointing to a guy by the name of Aaron Kosminski. He was a 23-year-old Polish barber, and apparently, he was a police suspect yeah. at the time. What do you have? You been he following that?
1: Uh, yes, I have been. Um, uh, Mr. Kozminski could very well be the Ripper, although um, I like—I uh, think that we're never going to really know because, again, uh, although that's where th- fingers are pointing right now. Uh, that that was a long time ago so i'm i am i am not sure if the dna is uh, really kozminski's or if uh, see we we don't know because james maybrick was another man that they were looking at walter sickert was another man they were looking at uh these were neil cream uh all of these people were really uh like many people believed at the time that they could have been the ripper and they had even purported to be the ripper and uh, there was these uh letters from hell as it were uh, as they were signed uh that were sent to the commissioner and uh that alone uh some people think that maybe those were uh fake just to create more of a uh, uh a mania attached to uh what was happening with the ripper at the time but other people believe that maybe he was just taunting the police hmm. with these uh with these crazy letters uh, where he would send a piece of the kidney of one of the victims, uh, you know, in the letter itself. Just really strange things, uh, that make you wonder, you know.
0: There was also the, the rumor that it was a member of the royal family. Do you remember that?
1: Yes, I do. And, uh, that I have a hard time with. I, do, I don't know if that's a possibility. It's, it's definitely, uh, like that would be a shocker. If if it were true, but um, a person of that high profile, I really don't think could be walking around Whitechapel, England. Whitechapel wasn't a very uh, clean and great place to be in back in the 19th century. It was it was dangerous. It was it it was the ghettos of London, you know. Uh, and believe it or not, at the same exact time that Jack was doing his killing in Whitechapel. There was an itinerant showman showing John Merrick, the Elephant Man. Oh wow! In 1888, it's true, and so it's it's kind of neat that uh, that was happening at the exact same time.
0: It all ties together. Mm-hmm. All right, so again, the paranormal show, and you can uh, you can see it up close and in person at a culticon uh, 2019 September the 14th up in Holstein Ontario beautiful Mythwood Campgrounds uh, just go to occulticon.com I'll be speaking there on the 14th as well uh, and rumor has it Scott we're going to be bu- uh, we're going to be uh, sharing a cabin
1: I'm looking forward to that it's
0: going to be a great time <laughs> a great time there'll be some ghost stories uh, shared around the campfire I'm sure Scott always a delight. see you soon thank you. Scott McClellan, TheParanormalShow.net, CarnivalDiablo.com, DiabloManor.com. My thanks to Owen Wolfe and uh, Ryan White. Back next week with um, uh, uh, Nick Bryant, journalist Nick Bryant, about the Jeffrey Epstein case. And uh, Chris Newby on Lyme disease, a biological weapon. Mayhaps. All right. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.